The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 63 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. This week, while I was on my yoga mat, I was pondering a question from Judith Hansen Lasseter, a restorative yoga teacher whose work has informed my practice and also influenced how I work with my clients, especially those going through active treatment and as they're getting moving again. Her question was, can you be safe and challenged at the same time? So let's let that sink in. Can you be safe yet challenged at the same time? Now, add to this the fact that you're a cancer survivor or a caregiver. Maybe you're still a patient in active treatment. And by this, I mean chemo, radiation, immunotherapy, something like that, some form of active treatment. Maybe you're on some form of maintenance, um, a type of medication to protect you from recurrence, and that is causing you some issues. These can fall into a few categories, physical and mental, topping the options here. Maybe you never fully recovered from surgery or didn't rest long enough and suffered a setback from trying to get moving too quickly. This can be a real challenge where staying safe while finding the edges of challenge is extremely important. I know the recovery healing phase can be so challenging because often we want to do more than we're really cleared to be doing. And then we judge ourselves poorly because the healing phase is taking a long time and we think it should be going faster. So today I want to talk about this idea of being safe and challenging ourselves at the same time in the context of exercise as a cancer patient or someone in survivorship. I definitely experienced this myself. Because of some side effects from chemo, my exercise routine was significantly impacted during my treatment. And I was really surprised when I was getting moving again by the anxiety that came up around the idea of exercise and getting moving. And now, this is a big part of my business and my work. So I was a person who exercised before my diagnosis, and I was feeling super anxious. In my TEDx talk, Unspoken Truths of a Cancer Journey, I tell the story of how during chemo, my normal, quote-unquote normal, changed, and I was unaware. So I thought when chemo ended, three weeks later, I'd be back to all my normal activities, and no one told me any differently. So this was my belief, and at about five weeks, I actually voiced my confusion and concerns about this. And my husband looked at me utterly baffled, and he said, you can't be serious. Chemo took a huge toll on you. I was still confused. I kept working. I kept showing up for activities. With the exception of having to stop my cardio due to issues with my feet during treatment, I kept trying to keep life normal. So not bouncing right back was really, really shocking for me. In the end, I actually got really lucky. 
Um, I was feeling great one afternoon, and I decided to take my two dogs out for a walk. And we walked two miles, no problem. I felt really good. Then my husband came home and was very annoyed that I had taken the dogs out without him. Um, What if it had not gone well? And he wasn't wrong. (laughs) That may not have been the best idea, but it did go well, and I felt really great. So the next morning, he was getting ready for work, and he said, are you sure you don't want me to take the dogs? Since he had been doing all the dog walking and a bunch of my other chores, I really wanted to take that back. So I said, totally sure, no problem. He left for work, and about an hour later, I had walked less than a tenth of a mile before I was in a cold sweat thinking I might not make it back to the house. We did make it back, and basically when I got there, I left my dogs in the entryway of my house in all their gear, and I sat on a stool in my kitchen with cold cloths on my neck and my face for about 30 minutes before I could even get the dogs out of their walking gear. And I had no idea what the heck was going on. And I feel really fortunate that I had the good experience before the bad because it helped me get past the bad without that leaving a mark. And this is where you have to get right back on the horse, or in my case, my feet, so that your brain doesn't try to convince you that it isn't safe. This is where being safe and challenging yourself at the same time can kind of start to cross paths. Now that afternoon, around the same time as the day before, when I'd had the good experience, I got curious, and I took the dogs out, and we walked two miles, and I felt great. And the next morning, I adjusted my plan to just go out for a very short walk to give the dogs a chance to stretch their legs, do their business, not an exercise walk. So it still wasn't great, but I read the signs faster, and I didn't have a crisis. Now, truth be told, I am not a morning person. My grandmother lived to be 100 and a half, and she would tell you any time before 10 a.m. is inhumane. And I've mostly lived in a 9 to 5 working world, so I do get up before 10 a.m., but it turns out that my body doesn't really love it. And that was something that post-treatment became really, really obvious. It actually was several years before early morning exercise or meetings didn't have a significantly negative impact on my body. And honestly, it's okay. It's just who I am. And once I knew what worked and what didn't, I could make those adjustments. The key is getting in the game and learning from every experience. I always say, A bad day out on the running trail teaches us much more about how to have a good day than the good days do. Getting moving after surgery or during and after treatment can be really important for our overall well-being and for caregivers. For caregivers, I want to say, please, please, please prioritize your well-being. If you're not taking care of you, it's going to be hard to take care of your person. Please prioritize your well-being. It's important to speak up and ask for what you need. In most cases, 
Nothing else changes for a caregiver. You have all the same responsibilities, plus whatever you're taking on as a caregiver. And it can take its toll, and you need the outlets and the stress relief. That said, as patients, make sure you talk to your doctor about exercise. No matter what type of treatment or surgery you're having, be really clear with your doctor about what you do for exercise on a regular basis. This is really important because often exercise isn't part of the conversation. And unless you bring it up, and unfortunately, sometimes incorrect assumptions can be made. And if you don't have an athletic build or you're of a certain age, your doctor just may not realize that you have a two or three time a week active yoga practice. And being cleared for your normal, quote unquote, normal activity too soon can sometimes cause problems or really set you back. I once was working with a client in her late 70s. She was the caregiver for her husband, who was in late-stage Alzheimer's. She was having an issue with high blood pressure, and they could not get her regulated with medication. And she came to yoga and before class whispered the situation in my ear. We happened to be doing a chair yoga class that day, so it was possible to keep her safe for the practice. And I provided her with some guardrails for her movement and told her she would not be able to do her favorite relaxation at the end of class because she preferred to do legs up the wall. And because it could impact her blood pressure, I didn't want her practicing that without doctor permission. And she said, but my doctor told me I didn't have any restrictions. And I asked her if her doctor knew she was going to water aerobics three times per week and yoga twice. And her response was no, she didn't ask. And I explained the reason that she needed to take the break, both in my class and at home, and that exercise could, you know, cause challenges with her blood pressure. So once it was controlled, she would likely be allowed by her doctor to practice safely again. So she grumbled at me and grudgingly agreed to my modifications. And she then went home and called her doctor, who was shocked that she was exercising so much. And she put her on immediate restriction. And my students stopped by my class the next time I was there to give me an update. And she said the doctor was really happy that I had told her to call. And after about eight weeks, they had gotten it figured out, and she was able to come back and practice all the things that she loved safely. So it's just a lesson that we can't assume that our doctors know everything about what we're doing. So it's really good when asking about exercise to get really specific. When it comes to getting moving again after an illness or an injury, safety and challenge can be a real balancing act. And in this example, the outlet of exercise was creating an improved state of mental well-being, but it was actually setting up a potential physical risk of well-being. So working with a skilled teacher who understands the risks and restrictions is really important, and listening to your body is also really important. I was having a conversation one day with a lady who was two and a half weeks out from her lumpectomy procedure, and she commented that she had gone to yoga and that it felt really good to be in yoga, back in yoga class. And I was like, um, were you supposed to be at yoga? 
And she said, well, I was cleared for all my normal activity. And I asked if she specifically asked about going back to yoga. And she had not. She then started having some soreness and swelling, and it turned out she had developed a seroma, which is basically a collection of fluid that builds up under the surface of your skin, and they can develop after a surgical procedure, most often um, where your surgical incision is or where something was removed. Um, I had a seroma immediately following my bilateral on the side where my lymph nodes were removed. And I think in her case, this was probably forming before she went to yoga and did some downward dogs. Um, But that added stretching and activeness of performing that type of flowing yoga kind of brought it out to the surface a bit more quickly. And again, like finding that balance of safety and challenge can be really tough. So those are some examples of being a little overzealous about getting back to normal. And I've worked with several clients in active treatment, and this usually looks like a balance of moving and restorative work. And I love restorative yoga because it's fully supported poses where your body is passive and able to relax into a stretch. And when practiced with the intention of calming the nervous system, it can be really calming for anxiety. So you get body stretching and muscle work, as well as that stress reduction. And these can all be really super important for cancer patients. In some cases, the situation may be causing anxiety. In some cases, the medications that are being used for treatment can cause anxiety. And sometimes it's just a combination of the two. And having an outlet and some tools to calm the brain is really valuable. One of my clients a few years back came in for a Pilates session on a Tuesday with a swelled ankle. She was a little accident prone, so we didn't really think much of it. She was back on Friday, and when I asked how she was, she said, annoyed. I said, hmm, what's up? She said that she'd been having some shortness of breath since Wednesday. And she'd gone to the general practitioner, and she told her they thought it was her allergies. I asked her about her ankle. It wasn't swollen anymore. It had The swelling had kind of gone down on Tuesday evening, and it didn't hurt. And so I asked her to sit down, and then I told her that I was really concerned Um, about the shortness of breath, and that we could not work out that day, and that she needed to go straight home, call her doctor, and tell them that she had a swollen ankle that suddenly seemed to get better, shortly followed by her shortness of breath, which had not improved since Wednesday. And then I wanted her to let me know how how that all went. Again, she was not super happy with me. In my role as a trainer and as a massage therapist, I can often recognize issues that are going on, and I have a lot of exposure to a lot of different types of pathology, but I cannot diagnose issues or even wonder out loud about issues. Um, Other than lymphedema, because that's in my scope of practice as a certified lymphedema therapist. But I had my suspicions about what was going on in this case, and working out 
would have been extremely dangerous. So I went with both my experience and my gut, and I sent her home. And she texted me later on and said that the general practitioner gave her a new inhaler. And I said, if that doesn't help, you should go to the emergency room. And the next day, she went wedding dress shopping with her daughter-in-law and, well, her daughter-in-law-to-be. And on Sunday, she texted me from the hospital that she probably wouldn't make it to Pilates on Tuesday. They had diagnosed her with a pulmonary embolism. And I said she definitely wouldn't be at Pilates until she had a note from the doctor clearing her to exercise. The ankle swelling was actually due to a clot that had traveled to her lungs, causing the shortness of breath. And this is where having trainers experience with medical conditions can be really, really important because crazy side effects and things come up. And it may be new to us, but it may be something they've experienced before. So it turned out that that clot was actually caused by ovarian cancer. And the moment that she was cleared to get back into the studio, I could not keep her away. My studio is in a dedicated space of our home, and my husband was homesick one day, and I texted her to say perhaps we should reschedule since she was undergoing treatment at the time. And she responded that her white count was good, and she was coming anyway. So over time, our workouts transformed for more active to less as she needed more restorative work and more anxiety-calming poses. But our workout times were a way for her to control some of the things going on and to move her body, where there were so many other things that she just simply couldn't control. And when I was diagnosed, I had the same oncologist, and I commented to the nurse giving us a tour and reviewing my treatment protocol that I had been in the infusion room before with this client of mine, and she asked who it was and then was sad when I said her name. And then my oncologist came in and said I was a yoga and Pilates teacher, and the nurse said, oh, really? And I told her that our mutual friend had done Pilates with me twice a week right up until a week before her passing. And the nurse was shocked. In the case of this client, our sessions helped her sleep. They really calmed her anxiety, which was seriously being impacted by her treatment cocktail, so much so that sometimes it was actually hard for her to physically sit still. And we would work. She would walk home. We also were neighbors. And she would sleep soundly for five or six hours, actually getting real rest. Movement can really help us at every stage. So what if your pre-cancer body didn't have an exercise practice? And now you're being encouraged to start one. One of my clients is now 15 years out from her triple negative breast cancer diagnosis, and I've known her since she was fresh out of treatment. Shortly after she finished treatment, she did the Susan G. Komen 5K here in D.C. with a local group. Now, she was not a walker, and she did not have an exercise practice. In fact, prior to her cancer, she had had several surgeries on her feet. And fun fact, 15 years ago, they did not tell breast cancer patients about the risks of weight gain from treatment like they do now. She had put on 40 pounds during treatment. 
Now, how do you think that experience went? It wasn't great. She spent much of the next two weeks in pain from that 3.1-mile walk. In fact, it created a long-lasting belief that walking is painful, and it set her back significantly. It was probably eight years before we actually made the connection between that horrible experience and her aversion to walking. So I'm a yoga and Pilates teacher and a running coach, but I don't do a lot of run coaching. I had a few people needing cardio support to get started. So I ran a three-month cardio club with an option to complete a 5K at the end. So after the third week, every walk day was pretty much a 5K distance, 3.1 miles. And this client was doing them beautifully, no problems. She had learned to manage her body's response to heat. She was fitted for the right shoes. She was stretching before and after. And on a less than perfect day, she could get curious about what wasn't quite right and make adjustments for the next outing. Then I brought up registering for that 5K. Now we were standing in the parking lot of the trail where she had just finished walking a 5K and was feeling really good. And she looked me square in the face and said, I can't do a 5K. And I said, but you just did one. And she looked at me shocked. And we agreed that we would do the 5K on New Year's Eve together to replace the negative story of that original Susan G. Komen 5K with a success story. She kept up her walking, and we met the morning of the race. She was super grouchy and aggravated and annoyed with me. And in the first five minutes of the walk, she said, what if I can't finish? For two months now, she had been walking this distance without pain or any other issues. The fact that this was an event was triggering that idea that walking is painful. And I have to tell you, she did a fantastic job. She finished really well, and I have a great picture of her crossing the finish line with the biggest smile on her face. And no kidding, last week we were talking about getting out and walking more, and she told me how awful walking is. Her brain still takes her back to that painful experience because it was so significant. So even though we know that it's no longer true, (laughs) she still goes back there. So I asked her, is that really true? Sometimes we just have to remind ourselves that the stories in our head are not always true today. They may have been true in the past, but they don't have to still be true now. Or they may never have been true. The ego is slippery, as my friend Veronica likes to say. It is part of the brain's job to keep us safe. Sometimes it goes a little overboard and we need to rein it in. This brings a whole new set of challenges. And this is where staying safe can hold us back in really big ways. Often, we're not prepared by our surgeon that chronic pain can be a long-lasting survivorship challenge after surgery. And let's face it, pain can trigger anxiety around recurrence. Or it can just encourage us to stay safe. In those cases, we need to get curious. Curious about what might work for us and what might be sustainable. 
Because if you choose exercise because someone else suggested it and you hate it, it isn't going to be sustainable. It isn't going to stick. And it's going to be really challenging to get moving when we just don't feel like it. Sometimes we need to bring in support to help us puzzle out those blocks and provide a little tough love when we need it. Coming back to our theme of being safe and challenged at the same time, here are some tips for how to get moving safely while being open to the idea of challenging yourself to step outside your comfort zone. It's in the edges the magic really happens. So number one, get curious. Using the Nike tagline here, just do it. Get curious and try different things. Remember, sometimes even if we had a movement practice before an injury or a diagnosis, it might look different now, and that's okay. The most important thing is to get in the game, any game. Go out for a walk, take a dance class, try pickleball or a yoga class or Pilates. In this COVID-19, post-COVID-19 world, there are a lot of options available, both online and in-person, and many offer free trials so you can sample and figure out what you like. Maybe there's a local gym or a community center that you could try out without making a big commitment. Take advantage of trials while you're figuring out what you're liking the best. Number two, be consistent and track your progress. This could be as simple as writing it down in a book, or if you have a smartphone or a smart watch that can store things on your smartphone, there's lots of different apps out there. Basically, the U.S. guideline for physical activity in adults is 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week, or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous intensity exercise per week. In addition to that guideline, they recommend two days per week of some type of weight training, and steps don't always equal moderate or vigorous intensity. So you want to be careful there. When we're getting started, this can all feel really overwhelming. So tracking our progress is a great way to see incremental improvements. The most important thing here is to stay in the game. Once you get started, keep experimenting and exploring your options until you find what works for you. Getting started can be as simple as a 10-minute walk. If you have a device, you can use that to track your activity, and that can also help with motivation. Number three. Find a buddy. Sometimes it's just hard to be motivated on our own. Later is always an option, right? If you're meeting a friend to go for a walk or take a class together, you might be more likely to show up for the other person, which actually helps stay motivated and show up for yourself. Toounstoppable.org is a great exercise buddy matching program for women who've had a cancer diagnosis at any time in the past. And Trevor Maxwell's group, manuptocancer.org, is a great resource for men. Number four, my last tip for today is to find a trainer or coach who can help you brainstorm ideas, help you get moving, provide some tough love when you need it, 
It provides some accountability while you're navigating how to get moving. The most important part of choosing a coach or a trainer is knowing that they have a toolbox from which to work with you. Every body is different, and every human inside every body has had a different experience and different driving factors working to keep them in their comfort zone. Having a toolbox and having a depth of client experience can be the difference between a good experience where you can explore the edges of your comfort zone and grow safely and a not-so-great experience, which reinforces the idea of staying safe. Remember my friend from the Susan G. Coleman walk? I don't want that for you. Unfortunately, there's no silver bullet to fitness or wellness. It's a lot of small steps, and sometimes what feel like huge leaps of faith. As a coach and a trainer, I work with people to determine their goals, and we break down the work to meet those goals. And when we run into a roadblock, we make adjustments. One of my favorite questions to ask when something comes up in our movement or in our mindset around movement is, is that true? When we come back to the root of what is true for us, We can move beyond what's holding us back. And often we can be more creative and more open to try something new. If you're wanting to get moving or need to brainstorm some ideas of where to start, let's talk. You can connect with me in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. Many of my past guests are there along with other people just like you who may even have some of the same questions. At the top of the group, there's a pinned post where you can also schedule a coffee chat with me for us to connect via Zoom or a phone call and get you started. You can also book a coffee chat from the show notes wherever you listen to the podcast. I am on a mission to interview new guests every week to bring more connection and share more stories like some of the ones I shared today, cancer survivors, caregivers, and support organizations. Whether you think you may want to share your story on the podcast or if you just want to share with me. Let's connect. Thanks for listening and have a great week.